the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. Since we are gathered to hear God's word, we call upon him in prayer and praise and receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus in the fellowship of this altar. Let us first consider our unworthiness and confess before God and one another that we have sinned in thought and word and deed, and that we cannot free ourselves from our sinful condition. Together, as his people, let us take refuge in the infinite mercy of God, our Heavenly Father, seeking his grace for the sake of Christ, and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Almighty God, have mercy upon us, forgive us our sins, and lead us to everlasting life. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you and for his sake, forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you all of your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Oh, oh give thanks to the Lord, Call upon his name. May all of his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. Glory be to the Father,
God, grant that we who have celebrated the Lord's resurrection may by your grace confess in our life and conversation that Jesus is Lord and God, through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The reading of the Holy Scriptures. The first reading appointed for the second Sunday of Easter is from the Acts of the Apostles, the fourth chapter. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ has risen from the dead. God the Father has crowned him with glory and honor. He has given him dominion over the works of his hands. He has put all things under his feet. The epistle reading, the second reading of the day, from 1 John, the first and the second chapters. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We now join together in singing our gospel hymn, our hymn of preparation for the gospel reading as printed for you in your service folder. <laughs> 
respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. Glory to you, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to Christ. Together we confess our holy Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text from the Holy Gospel, these words of St. John, but Thomas called Didymus, or the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, but Thomas replied, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the mark of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. The poor disciple Thomas, at least that's what we might perhaps think, because doesn't it appear that throughout the ages history has treated him so unkindly? It almost seems, in fact, that the church has never really forgiven Thomas for this one-week lapse of faith that he had after the resurrection of our Lord that's reported in our text for today. Even though he was a believer before these events took place, even though he was a believer after this lapse of faith that he had, even though he made one of the most concise and clear and unambiguous confessions of faith, despite all of those things, it still seems that he's remembered by the world as doubting Tom. We even get the phrase that we use to refer to people, doubting Tom, because of this event and because of doubting Thomas. And yet as we consider the story, we might find that in many respects he resembles the person next to you in the pew. And he resembles you. And he resembles me. Thomas doubted. So all too often have we. Thomas believed. So do we. The gospel tells us precious little about the apostle Thomas, St. Thomas. He's little more than a name indeed midway through the list of disciples when the list of disciples is given twice in scripture. Perhaps he had a twin brother, thus he was called Didymus, which means double, or even the word Thomas, which means double as well. Some people would say that this refers to his double-mindedness and the doubts that he had and the confusion he had regarding conviction on the one hand and disbelief on the other. But others would say no, that he actually had a twin and thus he was called, quote, Didymus, the twin. We do know that he, like the other disciples, failed to understand what Jesus was doing and what Jesus was doing with his life and with his death. In fact, on that night before the crucifixion, remember when Jesus was with his disciples out in the garden of Gethsemane, or in the upper room, it was Thomas, remember, who said, Lord, we don't know where you were going. How can we know the way? To which then Jesus responded, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It was Thomas who asked that question, that lack of understanding being hinted to, not knowing that Jesus was the way, not knowing what Jesus was going to do, not knowing where Jesus would be. That understanding of what Jesus was all about and what he had to be doing to be doing the business of his father led to an outright panic, of course, later that night, as we'll recall from last week, when in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, like all the rest of the disciples, forsook the Lord and fled in disbelief. Certainly all of them at that point of time entertaining their doubts. For some reason... Thomas wasn't with the rest of the doubters on that first night after 
Our Lord had risen that first Easter Sunday evening when Jesus appeared to the ten disciples in that closed room that we heard about in today's reading. Perhaps he just felt the need to be all alone. Who knows? Maybe he felt he had to be all alone to absorb the, the hurt and the anger that he felt, as so often some people are inclined to do. Perhaps he was angry and so disturbed with the events that he had seen transpire that he just wanted to go to Gethsemane and pound his fist against some olive tree. Who knows? Perhaps he had resolved to put it all behind him as people so often do with a bad chapter in their life when they've determined they've made some wrong decision, that they had followed some wrong scheme or plan, and that he was deciding at that point in time how he was going to pick up the pieces from three years back and start all over again. Perhaps he had come back just to tell the rest of the disciples goodbye when he comes finally a week later into the upper room. Whatever, when he finally did come back expecting to see them all sitting around long-faced, fearful yet of the Jews and what they might do to them, He's greeted not with the somber sense of defeat that he thought he would be, but instead Thomas is greeted with the unbelievable news. Thomas, we've seen the Lord with our own eyes. We've seen him. He's risen. We've seen him. And what's Thomas's response? He's not going to invest his emotions, not again in this pie in the sky, imaginations, and the hallelujah hallucinations of these guys again. He had done it once, and it seemed that he had been badly mistaken, and so he says, no. In essence, he says, don't, don't play your games with me. Unless I see in his hands the prints of the nails, unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and unless I place my hand into his side and can feel it for myself, I will not believe. Thomas demanded indisputable proof. He demanded empirical verification, incontrovertible, tangible, touchable evidence. He wouldn't believe without it. The tales of historical women, or hysterical women, were not enough for him anymore, not, not, not now. The ghostly apparitions of his fellow disciples would not be enough for him, not anymore. In fact, he wouldn't believe even if with his own eyes he saw it. No, he wanted to confirm what he might see with his own eyes, lest it be a hallucination fooling him. He wanted to be certain that he would confirm it even with his own sense of touch. Unless I see those nail marks in his hands and put my hand into his side and touch him, I won't believe. He wanted to be doubly sure. He wanted to be certain. Now for this unbelieving reaction, what is it the future ages would call Thomas? A fool? A dullard? A doubter? More charitably, we call him a skeptic? In fact, German ancestors in the Middle Ages used to have a symbol for Thomas. It was a braying donkey. The symbol representing 
this apostle, a donkey, stubborn disbelief, and thus ridiculing his stubborn doubts. And granted, the unbelieving of, unbelief of Thomas is nothing of which to boast. It is indeed something about which to be concerned, but there were indeed many in the Middle Ages too who made the donkey, the unbelieving donkey, a symbol of St. Thomas. There were many in that day and age as well who considered the resurrection of the dead to be something that might even be quite unbelievable. In fact, Luther, in his funeral sermon for Frederick the Wise of Saxony, that one man who more than any other protected Luther from the papacy when his life was at stake, Luther said at his funeral, at the funeral of Frederick the Wise of Saxony, he said, to say that all humans who have died and were buried from the first to the last of them are to be raised from the dead in one moment at the end of time is certainly sounds very strange to many. Nay, it seems indeed to many to be impossible. Our reason, he says, sees that one is reduced to ashes by fire and another is thrown into the water and another is torn to bits by wild animals, and a fourth is devoured by ravens on the gallows. In short, who can tell or who can imagine the many and the strange ways in which humans perish throughout all of the world? And yet, in one moment, all of these are to stand alive before the last judgment? If you ask human reason to explain this, you will never believe it. But then God will prove his divine power. God will prove his majesty. And thus he did, Luther says, when he created the heavens and the earth with one single word out of nothingness. He spoke only one word. And immediately they stood there. And so it will be at the resurrection at the end of time. So you see, the seven-day doubting of Thomas was nothing so unique. It wasn't unique to Thomas because all the other disciples had doubted and they had fled as well. It wasn't unique even in the Middle Ages, and I dare say that there are far more doubting Toms today in this scientific, in this materialistic, humanistic, secularistic world than there ever perhaps has been in the history of mankind. Am I too bold to suggest that every one of us, indeed, at one time or the other, has entertained doubts about the resurrection of Christ from the dead? Am I too far afield to say that all too many could be charged with 21st century doubts and would thus be able to be labeled 21st century Thomases in one way or the other? Perhaps if you haven't doubted intellectually in your mind that Christ has indeed risen from the dead. We would thank God that that hadn't been a doubt that one had entertained, but even if we've doubted that, haven't we really doubted it sometimes in the way that we live? Because if we would believe, indeed, that Christ is raised from the dead, then why in times of temptation do we cave in all so often? Why? Because we don't draw on the power of the presence of the risen and living Lord Jesus Christ who has promised to give us the strength that we need under every temptation to resist. And yet we cave in. Why, if we believe in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and believe that he is right here with us, how is it then that when we're seriously ill, 
We're so inclined to bitterly think that if Christ were really alive and living, then he would never let this happen to us. Or when we're tired and when we're depressed and when we're disappointed, we mope about so helplessly that we would think that our God was dead. Sort of reminds me of Luther's wife, Katharina von Bora. He lovingly called her, as many of you know, Kitty My Rib. Sometimes he referred to her as Selbander, which in the German means of the better half. Or sometimes when she might get a little bit testy, which she was prone to do, he'd call her My Lord, Kate. He'd even call her Kette, the German word for chains, suggesting that she was trying to chain him in during a very difficult period when Luther was burdened with many of the burdens of what was happening in the Reformation. He was, became a bit despondent with things, visibly troubled about things. And Katie endured his melancholy spirit for days, and then one day, after it had gone on for her at least too long, she met Luther at the door as he was coming home from the Wittenberg University. And she met him at the door, and she was dressed in the black dress of mourning. Who died now, Luther asked, when she approached him at the door. God died, Katharina said. Foolishness, woman, Luther replied, foolishness. And Katharina responded, it's true, God must have died, or Dr. Luther wouldn't be so despondent. It worked. He laughed, he learned, he remembered, he was reminded even by his good wife, by what he would call Dr. Cates, that Christ lives. And because he lives, we will live also. And because he lives, we do indeed overcome. Why do we come here on the Sunday morning? To meet with and to hear from the living Lord Jesus Christ. Not about a dead Christ, but to learn of the living Lord Jesus Christ. To hear him speak to us through his word. To receive his very body and blood living in the bread and the wine of Holy Communion. We don't come to meet someone else's expectations. We don't come as though our coming is somehow going to merit something in the sight of a distant God. We come because God comes here, the living Christ here, to meet with us. You see, all of us could be called all too often doubting Toms because we've all too often offended our Lord by entertaining and by living as though he had not risen. But look what happened to the original doubting Thomas. Our Lord doesn't leave us in that place of despondency or in doubt. He acts to indeed strengthen that faith that he creates within us. Look what happened to the original doubting Thomas. A week later, the disciples are gathered together in the same place. This time Thomas was with them. And our resurrected Lord in his patient and in his forgiving mercy met Thomas precisely on his specific terms, he reappeared to his disciples. He walked purposely over to Thomas, whose eyes must have been at that point in time as large as saucers and whose mouth must have been dropped agape. And he says to him, Thomas, put your finger here. He directs immediately the doubt of Thomas. Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it into my side. Go ahead and touch me. See that it is I myself and stop disbelieving, but believe. Overcome and humbled by what he had heard, 
What does Thomas do? The text doesn't tell us that he went ahead and touched him. He didn't have to anymore. He just falls to his knees, and you can imagine it, and he simply says, My Lord and my God. A beautiful, simple, concise, unambiguous confession of faith. Needless to say, Thomas missed no more meetings of the disciples with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in the Gospels, we find him next having breakfast with the risen Lord on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. We find him worshiping. As Christ ascends into heaven, he's there on the mountainside with the rest of the disciples. Early Christian tradition tells us, in fact, that Thomas became the, quote, apostle to the east, proclaiming the living, living Christ even as far, tradition tells us, as India, where he was finally then martyred, confessing the faith, confessing the risen Lord Jesus Christ in India, and some Christians there today still call themselves Thomas Christians, to the honor of of the name of St. Thomas, who brought to them the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, whom he had called my Lord and my God, a doubter for one week, but a believer for the rest of his life. And now our lesson for today is not three cheers for doubt, not by any means. Remember, after Thomas finally saw and touched and heard and believed, Jesus chided him and said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me, Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And herein lies the blessing of our Lord upon us. We have not seen, as Thomas saw, and yet we do believe. By the grace of God, you believe. Thomas relied on his own physical senses, and because he did, he no longer had to have faith in the resurrection any more than you have to have faith that the sun is shining when you see it shine or you can feel its warmth of light. It doesn't require faith. The more the tangible proof, the less faith is needed. And small wonder that Jesus chided him. By grace you are saved through faith. And that faith that you have in the risen Lord Jesus Christ is, Scripture says, a gift of God to you. You are all sons of God through faith. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, Jesus says. Faith created in you by the Spirit of God, faith sustained in you by his word and sacraments is what believes that all of your sins have been paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ, though you were not there to see it happen and to touch and to feel. Faith believes that he arose from the dead there were many who visibly saw him on the cross suffer and die. And yet they went away unbelieving, though they had seen it with their own eyes. There were those indeed among even the 500 who had seen him risen from the dead, of whom later the scripture would say, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful, despite the fact that they would see him. You see, seeing isn't always believing. Faith is what it takes. A faith that's created and sustained within us by the Spirit of God. Faith that doesn't waver at every little blowing of an adverse wind. And many of us doubt in faith, though, throughout our lives will coexist. We're Christians, all right, but we're like the man who came up to Jesus in the Gospels and said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. 
We're often like Peter, whose faith in Christ moved him to jump impetuously out of the boat and to start walking on the, uh, the water. Faith enabled him to do that. Faith in Christ, the object of faith, enabled him to do it. But then as soon as he saw the water about him and the waves ripping and roaring, then he started to go down. His reason and his logic took over and he began to sink. What are you doing? He must have said to himself, you know that you can't walk on water. And he found himself then sinking all because his faith in the power of Jesus wavered. All because he had put more stock in what he couldn't do than in what the risen Lord Jesus Christ could do. You see, even though faith and doubt can coexist, the mixture of faith and doubt together in our lives is by no means ideal. Doubt robs us of all that God would have us have. Luther gives us a good example of that in closing. Luther says, a wavering heart that does not firmly believe and does not firmly hold on to that which it receives, it will receive something, will certainly get nothing. Such a heart is like a cup, he says, that a, a man holds out in his hands, but instead of holding it, he moves it constantly to and fro. And it's impossible to pour anything into it, and though you want to do so, you would miss the cup, and you'd waste what you were pouring. And so it is with a wavering and an unbelieving heart, God would like to give us all that we need. But there we stand like foolish beggars, holding out our hat for gifts, and yet not holding it still to receive them, but moving it back and forth and to and fro. Today's gospel is what enables us then to hold our hand steady, firms up our wavering faith, gives us that strength that we need to hold our hand steady that we might indeed receive the very blessings of God that you here today receive. Lord, give us that blessed faith that trusts, though it cannot always prove, that faith that believes, though it does not always see. Come and receive even at his altar that which you don't see, but that which you certainly do believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
death and affirming resurrection, we approach our Lord in prayer on behalf of the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus. And for all people, we pray now according to their need. Let us pray. Gracious and life-giving God, receive our thanks, we pray, in this Easter tide, for the advocate you have provided for us in your Son, Jesus Christ, by whose death sin and death have been destroyed, and by whose resurrection you have assured the world that he is indeed the full propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God, by the inscripturated word and testimony of the blessed apostles, who saw with their own eyes and heard with their ears and touched with their hands the risen Christ, bless us who have not seen that by their word we too might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing we too would share with them life in his name. To this end, bless the preaching of your word here and elsewhere. Bless the teaching of it in Bible classes and Sunday schools that your people may, with Thomas, declare in faith of the Christ in their midst, my Lord and my God. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, the bridegroom of the church, you have given to your bride the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Bless her with faithful pastors guided by the Holy Spirit who will use them to forgive sins or bind them in perfect accord with your scripturally expressed will. Grant your repentant people confidence that sins absolved here below are loosed also in heaven and assure all the unrepentant as they insist in walking in darkness that sins bound on earth are also bound before God in heaven so that these may penitently return to you seeking your certain forgiveness. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of order and peace be with those who lead our nation and our community. Teach them to be diligent in the tasks that you've entrusted to them to act in accord with your will, and to work for the good of all people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, risen to help in time of need, hear our prayers for those who stand in need, including Robert Latham and Hugh Ryan, Dick Much, Paul Duell, Glenn Miller. Be with other members confined to care facilities or homes due to infirmity. Attend. To your servant, Lene Cantu, former member of the congregation who has been diagnosed with inoperable growths of the stomach. Grant her health according to your grant also health according to your will. James Ichikawa, the father of Patrick Ichikawa, as he undergoes tests. Grant continued healing to those re recuperating from medical events. Don James, Hank Harrington, Phyllis Thompson. Bless those who now prepare for surgery, including Lois Schneider. Comfort all of them and all of us in our own times of anxiety with the peace that your risen presence and forgiveness give and extend health to, to all of these in the way that you know to be best. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Risen Christ, you are pleased now to come to us in your own risen flesh and blood in the sacrament of your supper. Grant us faith to believe and open eyes of faith to recognize you at the sacramental breaking of the bread, that we may receive this meal in faith for the forgiveness of our sins and the good of our souls and bodies. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Receive our thanks for the confession of the faith, voiced and lived by many gone before us. And encouraged by their example, grant us also boldness to confess the truth of Christ, 
And as your Holy Spirit did for them, keep our eyes fixed also on the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus until we, received into heaven, will face to face behold him and confess unto him, my Lord and my God. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord and our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, our Heavenly Father. We pray now with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Passover lamb has been sacrificed. By his death, he has redeemed us from the bondage to sin and death, and by his resurrection, he has delivered us into new life in him. Grant us to keep the feast in sincerity and truth, faithfully eating his body, given into death, and drinking his life's blood poured out for the salvation of all until we pass through death to the promised land of eternal life. Hear us as we pray in his name and as he has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen.
give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift. And we implore you that of your mercy you would strengthen us through the same in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.